If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You just found the world's number one fitness, health, and entertainment podcast. This is Mind Pump, right? In today's episode, we interviewed our friend Jordan Shallow, one of the smartest people in the fitness industry, also a power lifter, and now also the owner uh, and founder of an awesome certification course for trainers and coaches. But in today's episode, we talked a lot about the human body. We dive deep on adaptation, muscle building, how we feel pain. I mean, if you love the science of the human body as it relates to adaptation and exercise and fitness, you are going to love this episode. Uh, by the way, if you're somebody interested in getting this certification as a trainer, his certification course, Prescript, is one of the best in the business. In fact, we've partnered with them to offer people something special. So check this out, right? So if you head over to mindpumpl1.com and you get your certification through that link, it will also include a mastering the sale training with me, yours truly. I'll be in there teaching you how to sell fitness and get your clients great results in addition to a phenomenal certification. Uh, so again, Jordan Shallow, Great podcast, really awesome. This podcast is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Sundays for Dogs. This is dog food that is made with human-grade, air-dried dog food. It's all natural, no synthetic additives, no garbage. Look at the label. Sunday's ingredients are super easy to pronounce, very healthy, uh, and great. Again, great for dogs to eat. So if you want your dogs to be healthy like you, Check out Sundays, and again, if you go to our link, we have a discount for you. So head over to sundaysfordogs.com forward slash mind pump. Use the code mind pump and get a fat 35% off your first order. We also have a sale going on this month with some of our workout programs. Maps Anywhere is the no gym required workout program. All you need are resistance bands. That is 50% off right now. And our Fit Mom Bundle, which includes Maps Anywhere, Maps Hit, MAPS Anabolic and the Intuitive Nutrition Guide is also 50% off. So if you're interested, head over to mapsfitnessproducts.com and use the code NOVEMBER50. That's NOVEMBER50 with no space for that discount. When I think of certifications that I've taken, I, I just it seems like just inc like an incredible undertaking to even come close to creating your own certification. I mean, you're not teaching the average person how to work out. You're teaching coaches and trainers how to train other people, like what made you even want to do that? It just seems like just such an overwhelming undertaking. Yeah. I mean, part of it was the frustration that came with taking a lot of certifications and not really having tangible, actionable takeaways. Like it just exists in theory. And then my frustration mounted in coming out of grad school after not only having every certification under the sun that was more niche nuance to the fitness community, but also having, you know, an undergraduate degree, and then a doctorate level degree as well. I was like, this doesn't help me at all. So what is it that I can distill out from every course I've taken, all the experience that, the experience that I had at the time and continue to sort of like work towards? Uh, and how can I consolidate that in a way that's actually actionable mm. in like a way that exists just doesn't exist just in theory? Because training doesn't exist in theory. Like ever, it's almost like philosophy in a sense. Like the, the theoretical part of it just doesn't, it doesn't really exist. It's how it's, how it's actually put into, put into practice. So I started. I actually started writing the, this manual before 
the company was even a company. I just wanted to to figure out a way to consolidate my thoughts on maybe common misconceptions around training and rehabilitation. So the more I got into strength and conditioning, the more I just started to write, kind of consolidate my thoughts around, you know, common paradigms around squatting and deadlifting. And then I got into the therapeutic side through chiropractic college. And then as I got into multidisciplinary practice, it was like, okay, I started talking about the rotator cuff and I would just write as an outlet of a way to like, you know, if I'm explaining something to like a patient or something. Or so was it more journaling then for you than it was really like actually building no. a program at the time or did you have no. the foresight? Yeah, no, it was definitely like this will be put to work. Like okay. this is not just me, you know, crying into my pillow. Like I wish the industry understood <laughs> how the rotator cuff works. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 like this is going to be written with, you know, with the intent and purpose of someday being consolidated. How? I had no idea. But like I remember sitting, I remember where I was when I was like, okay, this is it. I sat down. I, I read an article that pissed me off, and that's spite is a really powerful motivator. <laughs> I was like, I, I hate, but I was just like so mad at myself. I'm like, why am I expending energy? Just like, God, this guy's so stupid. He doesn't know. I know. I'm like, I have no fucking idea. What am I talking about? But I started just like, okay, what would be my counter argument to this, right? What would be a principles based approach? And that's something that's kind of like followed. What with was me. the article? Do you remember it? Uh, yeah, it was about athletes and squat stances. Oh. Uh, it was Ryan DeBell, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've, I've had him, I've been on his podcast, I've had him on mine, and I've actually told him this story. Oh, really? Um, and he's a chiropractor as well. And uh, he was What was like, the case he was making? Um, it was the, and this is actually a cornerstone principle that we try and teach, is uh, it was based off of Stu McGill's cadaveric research mm. around um, uh, femur head and neck size that dictates uh, like the encapsulation of the femur into the acetabulum, basically like hip joint structure dictating your squat, squat stance, stance. Right. right? Which like, you know, structure dictating function, fu function dictating structure and our ability, if we know how to assess for function and scale function appropriately, our goal should always be to outfunction bad structure. Mm -hmm. So I took exception to that from like a strength and conditioning perspective, understanding that there is a, intent and purpose behind what we do in the gym that has should have a carryover into some system or shape on the field. So the idea that a CrossFit coach at the time, and like, no, I don't want this to come off like I'm throwing shade, but like, if, you know, if you're using the word athlete, I, like in my mind, it's, you know, you're, you're supporting your family, your kids and your kids kids. Like, that's when I think of athletes, you, you, people are buying your jerseys. They know who you are, you're professional. So it's like athletes should squat different based off of what we're going to MRI everyone's pelvis. Yeah. And I was like, no, like function can there, are, we can out function our predetermined structure. And we see this principle follow itself outside of squatting patterns and that misconception of structure dictating function. We see that in the rehabilitative setting. When we look at like low back, uh, low back disc protocols and things like yeah. that, like, Oh, That's lumbar, like, oh, like, Oh, it's like, no, you can out function bad structure. Right. So in the case of this first article really kind of set one of the major tones for the majority of our curriculum is the structure function paradigm continuum Dude, spectrum. This is such a great point. Uh, there's two things that come to mind. I remember training a surgeon who said, if we MRI everybody's low back, you would see so many discs that weren't where they're supposed to be and lots of people feeling nothing. And then you'd see people where everything looks perfect and they feel lots of, lots of pain. And the second thing you said, which I think I want to add to that, is as a uh, as just a trainer who trained lots of every. I, I focused on general pop my entire career, and if you told them, "Yeah, your structure means that you have to work per this particular way," then that means they would never try to work on anything outside of that, and they'd stay in that freaking rigid 
you know, those confines and, you know, I know that that would cause more issues. Right. So I'm so glad that you, that you talked about that. And that's, that's a, and that's definitely, I think, coming from your experience training other people right. where you see that, right? Yeah. And it's coming at it from, cause my first sort of like, all right, enough's enough, enough, just me, me being mad at what I'm seeing on the internet. My, that first article was like coming from from a strength and conditioning perspective. That's really what got me into this to begin with. Was you know, I was working at the Canadian Olympic Training Facility in Ontario um, during my undergraduate, and so when someone who worked at a, and again I, I don't want this to come off. This is this is the spiteful like twenty one year old me, not like the slightly less spiteful thirty one year old me. But at the time I was so mad. Like how dare an O lineman is going to squat like an O lineman. Because if he didn't squat like an O-lineman, <laughs> he wouldn't be an O-lineman, right? Like a sprinter is going to squat the way a sprinter should squat. Like there are different carryovers, there's different adaptations of shape and system. Like I was just so enraged. And then like a well, little light in my brain said, hey, dummy, like actually write this stuff down. Because he's smart. This guy was smart enough and at least had the balls enough to actually write it down. Because right? I operated from ages 16 to 21. Like, oh, everyone's oh, like, oh, no one knows what they're talking about. It's like, okay, well then help them know what they're talking about. Right. So that was the first thing and looking, and I've never really done a retrospective synopsis of this. Like, it's just, <laughs> I've been living in a crazy whirlwind for the last like five years. Um, and, but yeah, that principle of structure and function and our ability to outfunction bad structure, whether from morphology or pathology, which basically means like morphology would be the case of the squat study where it's like, Hey, this is how your hip structure looks. So, you know, you're going to have butt wank. It's like, ah, well, really? Yeah. Is it though? Like, can we make it better? Can we improve the underlying function to negate the contribution of that structure? But also from a pathology standpoint, which is like the disc or like a, a torn rotator cuff or a torn labrum. And luckily for me, I've put my body through the ringer with competitive powerlifting and, and sports at a fairly high level. So I've had every injury you can imagine. And, you know, there's time and place for surgery and or structural intervention, but I've been lucky enough to be able to navigate this on a purely functional mm. perspective. But a lot of times when the fitness industry hears function, it's almost a bad word, right? And rightfully so, like the shit that gets sold off as being functional is just like, you know, your camouflage TRX straps <laughs> hanging by your oak tree. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Balancing on a Dyna disc. Right. So it's like, <laughs> so you, don't, you what, don't do shoulder presses when you curl. Right. Yeah, that's not functional. One of the early challenges that I had was defining function. It's like, all right, well, if I'm going to start as a pair, like one of the, like, the core paradigms is function and structure. It's like, I need to clearly define both. Right. So the first chapter of the book and the first lectures in the course of all our courses are all about language. Because, you know, you have a different training experience. You have a different, mm. you know, inception into exercise. So when I say something, I can't presuppose that you are thinking the same thing, right? If you grew up in a place where they called apples oranges and I said apples and I gave you an apple, you're like, what the hell is this? I'm like, well, this is an apple. It's like, oh, no, our apples are this. It's like, well, no, that's an orange. Right. Like, I've never understood why textbooks have the glossary at the end. So I was like, I'm going to put an end to that. So the first chapter is because it's like, why is Oh, I read all of this stuff, but this is what all the words meant yeah. at the end. It's like, shouldn't that be at the beginning? Mm. So getting on the same page is what the first part of the course is all about. And the first chapter of the book is like, Hey, even if people disagree, it's like suspend your disbelief, suspend your current definition for 16 weeks, abide by these definitions for the next four months and see if this doesn't start to make sense. Mm. Right. So in defining function, 
kind of is how our body operates when we walk and breathe, sort of our two preeminent functions, like try and tie anything back to that that's not functional. Like if it ties into the way our gait cycle works and if it ties into the way that our, our breath cycle or ventilation cycle works, probably functional. Outside of that, then it's a defining structure, right? And structure kind of exists on a continuum of active to passive. Mm-hmm. Like what is the difference between bone, ligament, fascia, muscle, tendon, nervous system, right? Well, it's like one is extremely active. So your function starts with your central nervous system. And one is extremely passive, right? Your bones, your skeleton. So in between there is just a gradient of an ability to create stability essentially. And that led me in my next definition. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, how do you define stability? Mm-hmm stability versus strength. And so really the first chapter is just going through and taking, you know, what we almost, we always just like, we just accept them as understood definitions in the industry, but clearly defining what these terms mean and then taking four months and implementing these definitions across. Yeah. So function and stability, what were like the top ones you see misused all the time in terms of like just thrown out there in the fitness industry? Yeah. So stability is one that it really almost def- I've had to defend and that defending stability as a separate training adaptation is a large part of what shaped the level two course um, because I had to dive a little bit more into the central nervous system and how the peripheral and central nervous system interact. Um, so we actually dive into the role of like the mechanoreceptor, which is, again, people might think that it might be a little bit too deep, it's like, all right, like, what's it worth to you? You know what I mean? Like more people, especially in the Silicon Valley can tell you how your phone works, like down to the ones and zeros, but we don't know our own movement source code. Like that to me is a big problem. So it's really digging down to the ones and zeros. So stability to answer your question is one that I probably had to dedicate the most amount of time to, because there's the greatest amount of pushback or the greatest amount of misconception around the definition, like strengthen your stabilizers is something that we just accepted. I accepted. I've been seeing physical therapists or chiropractors since I was 10, maybe 10, 11, or was old enough to hurt myself playing sports. And, you know, I got sent home with the same rotator cuff, super spinatus, empty can, cable, extra. Oh, I graduated to the yellow therapy today. It's like, God, give me strength or don't give me stability might be a better word. But the idea is like these paradigms just clashed and they clashed because we didn't realize that there were different adaptations, right? So going down again, this is more for the level two, but like going down to the the level of the mechanoreceptor, like what is a muscle spindle? What is proprioception? How is it that these can help us map our internal environment, create like an internal motion capture? Like, you know, we talk, dive a little bit more into, into pain in level two, but in the level one, that's something that we spend a lot of time in. Like there's time distance and load is our major means of progression for normal conventional resistance training and trying to build strength or elicit hypertrophy. But there's deviation of center of mass and limitation of basis support, right? Which is how we make something more and or less stable, which allows us to scale off a different reference point, right? Mm. To create different indexes. So I always think of like the, the big three model is one that comes up a lot. And it's probably one that you guys have talked with the McGill big three, mm-hmm. right? So was, yeah. How, how was it for you to distill all this down to like because whenever you talk about anatomy and physiology you always want to play beethoven and i'm always trying to get you to play chopsticks <laughs> and so i i can't imagine and i know you're you're writing this as an educational tool so how did you take a lot of the information that you, that you know true 
and make it very applicable to the trainer who's trying to learn all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the resources help, but I think just speaking in analogies, like speaking in comparisons, like dragging things out to like real world application helps. Like I think it's, it's necessary to be able to kind of wield the language properly, but at the end of the day, it's reps and sets, right? So that's always what we try and bring it back to. Like, the theoretical knowledge without practical application is completely useless. Actually, I was going to touch on that, Jordan. One of the reasons why we, early on, when we found you on Instagram years ago, why we liked you is because, and this is not really, I guess, talked about often, but there's oftentimes academia in fitness and experienced fitness coaches are at odds. Like you'd have, I know this one, managing gyms. I get the trainer that came in, master's degree and, you know, whatever, you know, understands biomechanics and sports medicine. And then I got this trainer who's been training for four years and the four-year trainer would kick the crap out of the other guy. But the other guy coming in would have some great knowledge as well that we could use with the experience. You kind of have both, right? You've got all kinds of tremendously educated formally. You were a competitive power lifter and you worked with athletes and you had lots of clients. And so it sounds to me like you had to, I mean, what was that like combining the two? Because you said things, you, you talked about context off air quite a bit before we got on the, on the podcast, you were talking about context and how important that is. That's to me, sounds like the experienced trainer side of you is trying to apply this information and bring it into, okay, how, here's how we apply it to, you know, the person that we're working with. I think a lot of it comes like in speaking an analogy and comparison is I have like a, a lot of skin in the game. And I think that sort of proof of concept that like, I'm not just saying this and then going back to, to my office and writing more things. It's like, I'm saying this and I'm going to use these principles when I train X, Y, and Z or myself. Right. right. So, and having a fair breadth of experience and depth of experience across different populations, the difficult part then becomes, you know, when we're on, when we're in a class, it's trying to identify and speak to everyone. Someone says mm -hmm. we have academics, we've had uh, medical doctors, we've had orthopedic surgeons, we've mm -hmm. had uh, physical therapists, we've had chiropractors. Uh, and But then we've had these these industry like giants that have been in the game forever that, you know, again, if I had to have my mom be trained by someone, it's like, I'm going to go to one of these guys, right? right? Like, because they've been able to at least prove what they, what they, what they know, right? So it's about taking this guy who thinks he knows everything, right? Mm -hmm. who, with the masters or the PhD, and being like, look, this is what this is how foam rolling works at a mechanoreceptor level. This is, you know, it's not breaking up scar tissue. Let's understand mechanisms of correction. But guess what? If your client wants to foam roll, guess what you're going to be doing? Foam rolling, <laughs> yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to foam roll on his birthday. You're going to foam roll on Jesus's birthday. We're going to foam roll on your mother's birthday. Yeah. We might make look a little bit deeper, like from a mechanistic perspective. Like, okay, why is it their iliotibial band feels tight? Well, what attaches to the iliotibial band? The TFL, the glute med, the glute max. Okay, what could be out of balance with the pelvis to create this undue tension that forces this convergence, this, this thought that there might be an injury present? It's like, well, how do we manipulate like the biomechanics? How do we manipulate the nervous systems? wantingness for from a self-preservation perspective to move through efficient paths of least resistance right so it's like kind of talking to them in nerd speak but also being like look nerd like you you want no one cares how smart you are right it's one of those in half of the courses like in talking to that cohort or that side of the spectrum is you know no one cares what you know until they know that you care and that's really, you know, in some classes, that's what I have to drill home more than anything else. Like I'll be 
trying to pull magic tricks on other magicians from an academic perspective. It's like, oh yeah, I know this study. I know this study. I know this study. It's like, do you know that sometimes none of it matters? Hmm. Like, do you know that? And then there's other times where it's like, you know, we'll have like, okay, why do we foam roll? Or why do people like foam rolling? It's like, oh, it breaks up scar tissue. It's like, does it though? <laughs> the, what, you know what it would take? Here's the research on how yeah. much pounds per square inch it would take to actually deform the collagen deposition of scar tissue. So we're not. So it's like trying to talk to both sides. But the thing is, it's not when you deal with human beings, it's not linear, right? So whenever, and I like to build relationships between two things, like I'll explain a bench press by talking about the, the criteria of the closest available grip width that makes sense and the widest available grip width that makes sense and allow people to use these principles of both bookends to put a client in there and be like, okay, I'm probably going to suggest more towards the wide mechanic versus the narrow mechanic. But with people, it's not linear. Like you have this whole fucking different dimension of experience. So that's been like probably as the course has evolved, been one of the things that is I've had to spend the most amount. Like I'll go back and watch facial expressions when I say things. I'm yeah. like, who am I losing? All right, where is he from? Go, what's his Instagram account? What does he do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's they're both important, right? Like knowing that something works is important, but then also knowing why it works. Like I know that, you know, if I hold my hamstring in a stretch, it's going to, I'm going to temporarily improve its flexibility. Now I may think I'm making my muscle longer, which some people may say, Oh, you're making your hamstring longer. But knowing that it's a central nervous system thing that's happening helps me because then I can do other things uh, to help the, the rest of my body. Can I understand the why, not just the fact that it actually work so that you know that's a that's a very important thing to 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 explain i think yeah it's reiteration that we take like a principles first approach right so like evidence is the words evidence-based have kind of been misconstrued because a, a proper evidence-based model is based off of uh, a, a clinician's or a trainer's experience um, the best practice in research and also the values of the client or athlete they're working with, right? So that those three pillars prop up what should be evidence-based. Now, evidence-based and research-based are often conflated, right? A lot of people claim like, oh, this is evidence-based and they just start spouting off research. It's like, oh, the only thing that that proves is you know how to read. Mm -hmm. Like I can read articles. What but a great point. Being able to like extrapolate um, and sometimes interpolate what's actually being said in the research and how is it, how does that actually hold water when you apply it? So extracting principles from research is really kind of how we go about navigating these situations or like, I don't want to just, it's not a system. It's like a system's way of thinking. Mm -hmm. That's something that we always reiterate. Is this why you emphasize so much on the live like labs and, and you know, when you, when you, cause your certifications, one of the differences I think is that you do a lot of these live coaching and labs, constantly live, like people are on there right now. It's not a recording that was recorded five years ago. Is that why you're, you're, you're so big on that? Yeah, because we'll start to see different classes. So we teach for the level one, or I teach the level one twice a week. It's the same lecture for both times. Um, and the reason is we want to accommodate for those coaches overseas. We have a l large contingent in the Middle East, a large contingent in, um, in Hong Kong, a large contingent in Australia. So we're trying to accommodate for that live experience. And for those who miss, it goes up in their portal and they can watch the recording from the week. But it's, yeah, you really want to read the room, right? No different than doing like a live lecture or a seminar or a presentation or something. Like there's a level that you'll find that the, the room resonates at. And it's, you can see if you're paying attention. Plus it helps you learn how to coach the coaches, just That's like training it. clients. Yeah. And that's where like, I've spent a lot of my time is like, 
I'm not an educator formally, but I've also been sitting in lecture halls for a better part of a decade. So I have a lot of experience with education methods that work. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes into it. You're a nerd that looks like a bodybuilder. I mean, (laughs) I think that's probably very accurate. Yeah. I mean, I like, I've started to like more the process of learning as a different adaptation. So almost looking at it like the same way I would look at because that's what really what movement is, is learning. And that's what great athletes are. Great athletes just learn really fast. Bro, that's okay. You got you to gotta, you gotta explain that a little bit because I don't think people are getting Because what you're saying is extremely true and very profound when I first figured that out. Oh. Like mm-hmm. when you're moving and you're training or practicing, what I like to say, practicing exercises, you are learning. Your body is learning just like you're reading something and learning information. So I, it didn't click with me. And you guys probably had a click earlier because you guys all have kids now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dude, yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, you're you're going to get there soon, bro. Just got to stay with one girl for long enough. I see, hey, no. I see you see what you're doing. They're out here, man. Oh, a little zinger right, right there. Time stamp wow. that. That's going to get left on the director's floor. Sounds <laughs> got me. No, no, no. So um, my sister has a niece that I was able to meet uh, through COVID. I flew to Australia last March um, and you know, through was able to jump through a few hoops and get from Melbourne to Townsville. Mm-hmm. Long story short, it's my first real exposure with an infant. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, what do I do? Like, it, she's it. I still say it, it's fucking terrible. Uh, she did like, you know, there's, she was maybe two months old. It's a point where they don't have a face yet. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's a face. It has the features of a face. <laughs> But it's like they don't me, get cute for like six months. It's but like, it's yeah. like it's you know, if one of them committed a crime, the police lineup would be impossible, yeah. right? Like I don't know, it was the sort of purpley one. It's like they're all kind of pur- anyways. Yeah. Sort of, but like <laughs> my daughter says that it just look like potatoes. That's what she yeah. Says. yeah, they're like little aliens. Exactly. Yeah. But as I w- even in like the few weeks I was with my sister and my niece, I was able to like just see the changes fast, like, crazy yeah. fast. Yeah, and her with technology is wild. And this is the scary thing. Like that's the real ghost in the machine. Like her with an iPad, I was like, holy shit. Like she's just putting all this together and you see it in real time. And last summer I was lucky enough to work at a facility where I was just one-on-one with a lot of very high profile NFL, NFL athletes. And there's one dude, I've, I've told this story before, so I don't feel uncomfortable, but I was working with Leonard Fournette of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, I was going through like a drill and it was very skill-based. It was very practice-based. Like someone like that, you just, you just make sure he doesn't trip over shit. Like that's really what your job is. Like we're not, <laughs> yeah, making, don't hurt him. That's the guy's job. 245 runs a four five forty. Like yeah, he's yeah. fucking insane. He's an absolute freak, but you know, and there's different tools that I'll use to expedite the movement learning process mm-hmm. that are heavily based on like the principles we teach around uh, mechanoreceptor activity in the central nervous system. So it was just kind of going through and, the progressions that would take a mortal six months, eight months, he did in six reps. Isn't that <laughs> fascinating? Oh, but like, and I, but I saw it, like I saw it in his eyes. I saw it in like the disappointment of hitting a wall, like the disappointment of like, I know what I need to do and I've just not routed it properly in my brain. So I know there's a wall there. So I'm going to like just watching that. And I just thought of my niece right away. And I was like, this is insane. Cause it was as fast an adaptation. I'm like, well, that's all athletes are is they just learn really fast. I, right. But I, brilliant. I, I, re- yeah. I remember when training regular everyday clients, I could always tell if someone had an athletic background, but the first exercise I taught them just by giving cues mm-hmm. and seeing that the, the wheels turn and then their, their body all of a sudden 
snap into yeah. it. It's like night. Yeah. Now, how, how do you able to mirror? How do you put that into words? Like, what do you do? You attribute that to mostly CNN. Obviously, there's a genetic component with right. that person, yeah. right? That they have that ability to do that. Is it mostly CNS? What it, What would you attribute that to, and how would you articulate that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it would be developmental milestones as a kid would be big. This is why you seek so many common threads. Like I'll ask a question. And I already know the answer. If you want your kids to be good athletes, what is the one sport you're going to put them in young? Yeah, gymnastics. gymnastics. Yeah. Right? Every single time. Yeah, right now. I'm sitting in a room with three macho dudes and we all unequivocally go two, two up. Let's fucking roll. Right. Yeah. Like that's going to be, but why? And this is where like the deeper principles of, of mechanoreceptivity and central nervous system activity really come into play. Like, Good athletes. I always use the comparison of, you know who Andy Serkis is? Hmm, so Andy Serkis, yeah, you'd know the name. He's the actor that plays Smeagol in Lord of the Rings, oh, like no. the little yeah. Gollum-y character. So when we look, and, and maybe another more modern example that people would know is how they record for like NBA, 2K, whatever, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So they use motion capture, yeah. right? Yeah, all the like ping pong balls on the Lycra mm -hmm. suit and everyone's covered. So we take for granted that our body has an ability to do that. Right. That right now, without really too much thought, I can think about my pinky toe and get feedback. Mm -hmm. So I can almost I can create an internal motion capture. Right. So really good athletes just have a high resolution internal motion capture. So it's understanding. And when we think about these ping pong balls, there you go. Doug's got it pulled up there. If you go into if you go into images, there'll be one where he's on a rock and the Smeagol character is mm -hmm. fully rendered. Um, but if, if you think about what these ping pong balls are, it's like, well, they're sending transmissions to central processing, which is a computer. But in our bodies, central processing is our brain. But what are the makeups? What is the anthropomorphized version of these, of these transmitters sending to the central receiver? It's like, well, in our body, they're mechanoreceptors, right? So we maybe hear things like Golgi tendon organ reflex. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Goldie tendon organs pretty common, muscle spindle, more common or less common than GTO, but more common than let's say like a Ruffini ending, right? If I say Merkel's disc, if I say Meisner's corpuscles, if I say Piscinian corpuscles, all of these are different modes of transmission back into the brain. They give us an ability to track our motion capture where our body is in space, right? Like I think of some of the best plays of all time are like the no look. Right. Like we talked mm -hmm. about OBJ earlier, like, you know, the helmet catch mm -hmm. where like he can't see it. But how does he know where his hand is? It's like, well, he's getting these peripheral inputs back to central process. So it's the seeing without seeing and understanding how to elicit these mechanoreceptors in a way that is, is systematic, maybe figuring out which ones are offline. And it's so funny when you look at a list of mechanoreceptors, the slowest mechanoreceptor we have is nociception, which most people know as pain. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. pain removes anywhere between six to 30 meters per second. Then if you go up in the list, there's four that move around 30 to 75. Is this why when you second. touch something hot, you move your hand before you feel the pain? Yeah, but heat's slower than proprioception, okay. right? Mm. So heat, that's, that's a perfect example, but there's like three classifications based off of nerve fiber. And I keep pulling me back into reality so yeah. people can actually extract value from this. But yeah, to no me, problem. this is like the most underlying cool concept about biomechanics mm. that most people miss. Because classically, mechanics gets taught. And this is one of the definitions that we harp on very early in the course is, you know, if I draw a stick figure of someone squatting, most people call that biomechanics, right? The mm -hmm. sagittal Steve, sure. you know, like yeah. someone's there <laughs> explaining why their chest is on their knees and their low bar squat. It's right. like, what is that picture missing? It's, it's two-dimensional two picture yeah. of a four-dimensional being. Mm -hmm. So we move, we move through the triplanar model 
but we also move through dimension of time, mm-hmm. right? Which a lot of people miss. And that's biomechanics, mm. right? That what we get passed off with moment arms and levers and all this other shit, that's just classical mechanics. Mm. That's physics. And the one thing between bio and mechanics or biomechanics and mechanics, that bio piece indicates life. And the central nervous system is the integral mm. part. So understanding how to map the central nervous system is the underpinning of yeah. biomechanics. I, I remember reading an article in Scientific uh, American years ago, and it talked about the physics and the computations required to throw a crumpled piece of paper into a wastebasket, which right. most kids can do mm. by the time they're four years old or five years old. And it was like this incredible, like the physics in the timing and how to adjust what you're doing. I mean, just we don't even realize just how complex this yeah. is. But I, I want to know how all of this is uh, valuable to the coach right. because right. you're explaining a lot. By the way, I love it because I think this is just fascinating. Right. I love learning this kind of stuff. But now I'm a coach. I'm going to train people. How would I take this awesome fun information but use it in a way to help me train right. and coach someone. and well that's yeah we'll get on track for that yeah so pain slowest right yes. we have like these meisner's disc merkel's core or uh, merkel's disc meisner's corpuscles piscinian corpuscles raffini endings and then we get into golgi tendon organ and muscle spindle so let, if we organize those in the list from pain at the top and gto and muscle spindle at the bottom and we had like the bulk of weird ones that no one's ever heard of in the middle and we looked at what each one of them does well no exception relays pain then we have these four or five there's a couple more that are a little less what do they relay well they relay a transmission back to central processing of vibration of deep pressure, of mm. skin stretch, of heat. Mm. And then ultimately, then they move at a certain speed. They move 30 to 75 meters per second. And then ultimately at the end, GTO and muscle spindle get transmitted through what's called A-alpha fibers, which moves six, or 100, uh, 120, 130 meters per second. Wow. Right. Way faster. Really. And think like Usain Bolt, max velocity is probably... Well, he runs 100 meters in 10 seconds, yeah, no. but max velocity is probably moving 17 meters, 18, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, through 21, no, 17, 18 meters per second, maybe. So really fast. If we think Golgi tendon organ and nociceptor or Golgi tendon organ and muscle spindle are moving upwards of 135 meters Mm -hmm. per second. If we look at what elicits these middle rung adaptations, right? What did I say? Vibration. Mm. So vibration moves faster than pain. Is it any wonder that Theraguns are in every fucking gym across the world yeah. right now and they're mm. selling them for six? What is that? Okay, I got a question to ask you about mm. that. Sorry to interrupt. Getting ahead of the, the pain. Huh? Those vibrating plates. I, so I remember when those became a big thing right. and I used to laugh at them. And then I remember trying them out and realizing that I could get into mobility positions and, and, and that normally would hurt. But because of the vibration and because of what it was doing to my CNS, or I'm sure you can explain this a little better, I was able to get into better positions, hold them than when I was not on it. And then when I got off of it, now I've got this kind of new learned It's because pattern. it's a faster, it's faster because transmitter. Because you said vibration is right. faster than pain. Right. Yeah. Mm. And well, and this that is, is, so that's that how you that would apply so, that. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Yeah. I've, never, I've never heard anyone communicate it like that before. Yeah. So much better than the way I say it. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's a little bit long with it. I say more ch- chopsticks. You yeah. still sell a lot of training though. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's just if we understand that mechanism. But right. Like no one has, to my knowledge, and like not to pump my own tires, just like I've lost enough sleep over the last decade to try and yeah. figure out why. Because like I lost the ego that came with what I thought I knew. And I was like, look, I'm a dumbass because I didn't think of Theragun. I remember doing a presentation and Theragun was one of the sponsors. Flamed them. They complain we're right there. There's a booth of people, like maybe 10 feet away. And I was doing like a keynote talk. I'm like, yo, look at these guys. But I'm like, yeah, look at them. They're, yeah. they're making, you know, hyper So I guess the question is, though, is, it, I mean, it's getting transmitted faster. Therefore, it feels like it working is working. But is it actually doing anything but, that is? Well, 
let's continue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we have vibration. There's a right? temporary effect. Yeah. So we have vibration. Sure. We have <laughs> deep pressure stimulus, foam rollers, right? Within yes. a year, they were in every commercial gym all over the place. It's like we can look at like the very focal, very regional potential tissue adaptation. We can miss the mark and we can go, oh, it's not doing what we're saying. It's doing, it's doing something. Yes. Right? Like yes. you can't keep these things on the shelves. Everyone has one of these. So it's like they I could, work. We just need to figure out how. And this is how, right? So they elicit a different nerve ending that essentially just beats transmission back into the somatosensory cortex. Right. So when our body is creating this internal motion capture, you know, if that if that little ping pong ball on the like suit of our motion capture system was offline or not polished, like it's essentially reflexes. It happens mm -hmm. in our autonomic nervous system that if it wasn't polished, then we're getting an error message. Right. Our our receiver asks for a transmission and it gets an error message. 404 forbidden page not found. <laughs> and what is in this place? It's a pain. It's no susception. It's at yeah. six and 30 meters per second. Yep. So we fill it in until it goes away. But now as we work through vibration, deep pressure, heat, skin stretch, tape, right? Yep. Los Gatos is 20, 20 minutes away, right? Rock tape has been crushing it. Mm -hmm. They, you know, 2000 Olympics in London, every beach volleyball player was head to toe. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, people can talk about, oh, lymphatic drainage. It's like- They're explaining it wrong. Oh, yeah. but, it, and it's like- uh, I think you'd, and maybe they don't know. And if they do, hey, email me and we'll talk. But like, so if you could just. Another sensor of the skin. It's it. Skin right? stretch, man. Skin, yeah. And you could look at the same thing with like instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization. Acupuncture. Acupuncture is a big one. Yes. Right. So, and because you take for granted, like the, the magnitude of change, like think of hormone signaling, you know how little like epinephrine it takes to get you fucking charged up and ready to go. Mm. It's the same thing. Mechano receptivity is just a really efficient way to drive a peripheral adaptation. So when we move outward, and this is where we start to get out of these temporary fixes and into the solutions is when we actually level up in speed, mm. when we go to Golgi tendon organ, and that's why for the longest time, you know, and I was met with this going through chiropractic college and early in my career as I worked corporate was like, there's just such an auto association between this hurts. What's the stretch. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was like, but it was, it had to like language persists for a reason it it persists because it works. Yeah, right? I, see, I gotta. I, I'm gonna add more to this because what you're talking about right now is uh, so so brilliant, and I'm so glad you're going in this direction. And here's some of the ways that I, I would apply it. For example, you use foam roller as as a great example. When foam rollers first hit the scene, I've been in the fitness industry long enough to remember, you know, before foam roller, so BF, and then after <laughs> foam roller, and it was everywhere all of a sudden, and it did work. Right. But then I realized what you were talking about is it didn't fix anything because we didn't understand how it worked. We knew it worked. Right. You foam roll your IT band, foam roll your hips. Wow, my squats don't hurt anymore. Now I can squat deep and I got better form. But then I got a foam roll every single day. What the hell is going on? Obviously, I'm not breaking down adhesions because why are they coming back? Like, what the hell's... And then I realized this must be affecting the CNS to the point where you don't feel the pain, you're moving differently. What if I combine this? And this is just my own understanding. What if I combine this with correctional exercise or with exercise that then will solve the root issue because the foam rolling allows me now to do a movement that they couldn't do before because of the pain. And once I did that, then my clients were able to slowly stop using the foam roller. Right. That's why it's yeah. so important to know how something works, not just the fact that it works. Yeah. It's the principles approach. So like just kind of piggybacking off that, 
GTO, so Golgi tendon organ, which is like the stretch receptor that's in the tendon, and muscle spindle are transmitted the fastest by, you know, order mm-hmm. of magnitude, right? Like it's, it's almost double in speed at 120, 135 meters per second. So we know Golgi tendon organ, right? We get that. It makes sense to us. Stretching is very, an easy concept because the, ne- well, the neurological uh, input and the actual output are the same thing. Like, oh, stretching. Oh, well, if I move this from here to here, it's like, yeah, it's pretty much what'll do it. But there's some muscles that are really hard to stretch, like stretch a multifidus effectively, yeah. right? So it's like stretch a rotatory, stretch a, um, you stretch know, an obturator. Even, even, you know. Right. There's so many other muscles that will peripherally come to tension first. And then, you know, this is where the course is broken up through shoulder, hip and spine, where we spend a lot of time emphasizing, you know, the deep spinal musculature, rotatories, um, multifidus, um, erectors, transversal spinalis group. And we can go into more detail about that later rotator cuff, serratus anterior for the shoulder, lateral rotator group, obturator, piriformis, glute med for the hip. And then we look at, okay, you know, we can have all of these temporary fixes in the, in the lesser order adaptations that come with these different mm-hmm. mechanoreceptors, right? These Merkel's discs, these Meisner's corpuscles, Bacinian corpuscles, Ruffini endings, these slower 30, or, uh, 35 to 70 meters per second. But how is it that we elicit a muscle spindle reflex. And this is where proprioception really comes on on board. And this is where understanding that internal motion capture model of how it is that our body sees movement in space, sees ourselves as we move. Like one of the best ways to improve range of motion <clears throat> for me is just to have someone look in a mirror. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I can get someone 20, 30% deeper in a squat just by having them look in a mirror. That's why mirrors like, exist in gyms. It's not because yeah. we're trying to see our body. Well, yeah, but it's, it's a great tool, but it's a better master, <laughs> yes. right? So it's like, I want to use that as a stepping stone because I can allow, and this we, we get deeper into cerebellar function with the level two, again, from a principles focus of like, hey, really all of this comes down to when you start with a client, maybe have them look in the mirror to use their eye. We're such visual creatures, right? Like yeah. dogs you'd probably want to associate smell or hearing as, as a, as a cue that you would use or a reward system. But we're, you know, of the five. That's the most dominant, right? It's, it's embedded into more lobes of our brain than it's not. So when we look at, you know, using the visual field to help us help an impaired internal motion capture system with this external augmentation Mm -hmm. of vision, um, then it's like, okay, we get to the level of muscle proprioception at the muscle. That's what muscle spindles do. They relay proprioception. They are autonomic muscle contractions. When I say, hey, flex my bicep, hey, flex my gastroc or my calf, that started here, right? This started in my pre and primary motor cortex, where if I have uh, a kettlebell over my head and my arm's kind of doing this, or if I'm standing on one leg and my hip and my knee are kind of doing this, those muscle contractions are not starting here. They're actually starting at the muscle itself, oh. right? And that's where muscle spindle reflexes come in. And, and that's, that's faster than the brain. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's faster than the, you know, the preliminary uh, Ruffini endings, Merkel's disc, all right. the, the lesser mechanoreceptors. So that's the one we miss because we go through this continuum of like, you know, foam rolling and we try and integrate it in. But a lot of times we go right to strengthening, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of like the misnomer of, you know, strengthen your stabilizers. So it's one thing to just go, you know, throw a lacrosse ball in your supersonatus and all of a sudden your abduction feels painless, right? Like you raise your arms, like, oh, wow, that's so crazy. What a magic little lacrosse ball. It's like, well, no, now it's like we've opened up to that, uh, that a alpha fiber ability, that muscle proprioception now actually load, but not strengthen. I don't want you to go through an empty can. Now that you put a lacrosse ball through your supersonatus, I want you to actually put an unstable load in an unstable position, right? I want you to elicit that 
let's call it a retrograde muscle contraction rather than an anterograde. Got it. So you're training the spindle mm. to yeah. really, really, really learn how to stabilize on its own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, now, it, speaking back to the, the mechanoreceptors and all the different uh, techniques out there that you would see, like, probably have some value for, you know, addressing those different specific characteristics. Do you have that all outlined in terms of a coach coming in and, like, being able to kind of assess and walk through their client? Like, what was that, like, programming look like? Yeah, so it's just about what they respond to, right? Like, there are some athletes that if you give them access to the visual field, because all of this happens at the deeper level at the cerebellum. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how deep we want to go into this, but the cerebellum breaks down into three parts. So the three parts of the cerebellum, and we can look at the cerebellum like our movement brain. That's really what it does. And the interesting thing about the cerebellum, if you look at like what it's responsible for, one of the underlying things that you'll see in every neuro textbook is it's responsible for tone, mm. which is like, again, another bad word, right? Tone. We want like the long tone muscles. Yeah. Like that's not what it means, but it, no, it's <laughs> not what it means. Like I think of it this way, like let's say we have a cerebellum that's at the base of our brainstem. Let's say it. Cause that's, that's, what that's, it is. that's true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there. hypothetically, if yeah, yeah. let's think of these peripheral mechanoreceptors, like, like emergency lights in a, in a building, right? So, you know, power gets knocked out, buildings on fire. There's just these two fuck off real bright lights that just illuminate the entire room. If the generator's down, doesn't matter. Illuminate the places to get people to fuck out. Mm -hmm. Inefficient is all hell. Bright is all hell. I was like, oh God, like yeah. I'm just trying to get the fuck out of here. I'm really glad those lights are burning that, that bright so it can illuminate this entire space. Let's say they run, I don't know, some ridiculous amount of uh, volts or watts or whatever right. the hell. And they're just sucking through They're energy. not efficient. They're not efficient. But in case of no emergency, we don't need this thing right. blasting out and like blinding us as we walk through, right? So in normal day-to-day, -day, it would be better if we just had like, you know, maybe like a little lamp in the corner. Mm -hmm. Maybe we open the open the blinds, let some light in from yeah. outside. And the key is your body knowing when to use what. Right. And it's just the efficiency that comes with it. Right. So in this comparison, our cerebellum, so people who are tight, people who rest in high tone, yep. right. It's as if like our cerebellum is this master dimmer switch and that a lot of times the dimmer switch is turned all the way up, meaning that we're just illuminating from the cerebellum and our tone is really high. The default it, is, is not efficient. It's too high. Well, it's just trying to illuminate these unresponsive peripheral mechanoreceptors, right? That aren't illuminating back to us in a sufficient fashion. Oh, I fashion. see. So it's a compensation. Uh, yeah, it could be seen as like a neural compensation. It's like, hey, let's not. And this is where you you talked about like the neurological underpinning of muscle tightness. Yeah, like that's that high tone doesn't start at the level of the muscle. It starts at the level of the cerebellum because that high tone, that tight muscle, is a response to a lack of that cumulative illumination coming from these what otherwise should be. Uh, much more efficient feedbacks into the cerebellum, which are the mechanoreceptors. You know, that Jordan, what this really uh, for me was bringing up was, and I remember re learning this or just realizing this as an early trainer was so much of what you're dealing with when you're training with someone is not conscious for them. This is not like they're not thinking. In fact, uh, some one of the issues I used to have early on as a trainer is people would say, "Oh, correct your posture. This is what good posture looks like. This is what you need to do." I'm like, okay, that's great when you remember to do that, but who the hell wants to constantly be conscious of their posture all the time? That's stressful. And it's like me telling you, you know, think of blinking. And then all of a sudden you're like stressed out because now you're thinking of every time you blink. Most of this is all unconscious. And what you're trying to do is train the these unconscious functions to work really well. 
which is why it's, what you're talking about is so important to understand. And it's, and it's quantifiable, right? Because if we look at center of mass and base support, we can begin to maybe not interpret an actual quantifiable magnitude, like a value of like Newton meters of force of instability, but we can start to grade exercises as more or less stable, more or less likely to elicit this muscle proprioception reflex, right. this fastest muscle spindle illumination. This is a very efficient way to reduce tone into the, into the cerebellum and ultimately like through the, throughout the entire system. So the, the big three model is, is a classic case that we'll use a lot. The big three is the side plank, the bird dog and the curl up, mm. right? Uh, Schaefer last name. Okay. Here, so let's do this. There's a little thought experiment. I've, you know, I've been in chiropractic as a profession for six, six, seven years now. And the majority of people that come to me will be like, Hey, I have low back pain. For example, we'll say, uh, I've tried everything. I've done the bird dog curl up side plank. Now that is a very, if we look at the two parameters of base of support and center of mass, those three exercises will in a, to a certain degree elicit instability through three planes of movement, right? Fle uh, flexion extension, right. which is the curl up. Mm -hmm lateral flexion, which is the side plank, mm -hmm. and then bird dog is anti-rotation, right? So mm -hmm. when we talked about biomechanics being four dimensions, the triplanar model, that's the three planes we move through, and then the dimension of time. So if we're going to create an index of exercises based off of the reference point of core stability, meaning that progressively as we move through these exercises, and we can use these subheadings of bird dog curl up side plank as representatives of very remedial entry level versions of anti-lateral flexion for side plank, anti-rotation right. for bird dog, and anti-flexion extension for curl up. And we can say, how is it that with these constraints to movement that we can open up the constraints incrementally to either deviate center of mass and or minimize basis support and codify how much input is actually going to be working at that reflexive level of that muscle spindle to create a less stable internal environment for us to resist force against. So in other words, how can I take these movements and tweak them for the individual to elicit the adaptation that you're talking about? Right. So let's, let's run out one, right? Let's go with rotation bird dog is probably the anti-rotation movement like movement around like the y-axis mm -hmm. or the transverse plane is probably the most difficult for most people to self-organize um, and there's a lot of underlying reasons as to why that's the case but let's look at the bird dog how would we make a bird dog less stable it's like well we could deviate center of mass and or limit base support we don't get better at anti-rotation by doing more bird dogs or holding the bird dog for longer or waiting the bird dog so my delt has to now resist again <laughs> like that's so stupid right so i can just manipulate those two factors so if the bird dog is in a quadruped position well maybe i, I go from a bird dog to a Beast. bear crawl mm -hmm. yeah. now it's dynamic now we're deviating center of mass and limiting our base of support mm -hmm. right maybe i go standing uh contra or opposite load a single leg rdl or mm -hmm. single arm dumbbell row, yeah, yeah. right? Like if I pull a heavy enough single arm dumbbell row, lots of anti-rotation, right? The de the combined deviation or the deviation of our combined center of mass of me and the dumbbell. So what often we get left with, and this is where like the underlying tenets of stability or something to your question, maybe 20 minutes ago, with <laughs> <laughs> something dude, that's full, been, right, full circle, we're coming yeah. full circle, is okay. probably the one that's is the hardest to comprehend, but yields the most return mm -hmm. as it works at this highest order, most difficult, least accessible proprioception at the level of muscle spindle is really just a matter of looking at different reference points for indexing exercises. So this is something that we'll walk through and I'll have this in week seven of the course. Okay. We'll be like, hey, right side plank curl up bird dog but think about bird dog how would you make a bird dog more stable hmm. dead bug 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now we have a broader base back. support. Yeah. Right. So I would actually say that index starts with dead bug. Yeah, that's a bird that, dog. Right? right. So now I, I'll use the the last name analogy. Is oftentimes when we prescribe exercise, especially from a clinical perspective, but I see it equally as as sort of thoughtlessly prescribed in strength and conditioning settings, bodybuilding settings, whatever. Like every time I see a pal off press, mm-hmm. like a, just a small part of my brain dies. <laughs> I just can't, especially with like basketball athletes. It's like this guy anti-rotates people. But <laughs> yeah, it's not a, the band and the yeah, substantial amount of force. Yeah, it's like pretty this guy's going to pick and roll Le- LeBron. He's right. two eighty-five. This is a yellow Theraband. Like it's ridiculous. But let's say that hey, a Paloff press exists in a continuum of anti-rotation yeah. exercise, undoubtedly, right. right? So it's not a silly exercise. It's just often ill-prescribed. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if I was to look for Adam in the phone book. So for those of you listening, phone books were these things <laughs> that like you could find everyone's number. Sal, Sal rips them in half. Yeah, right. So, so S is the 19th letter of a 26 letter alphabet. That means it's 73% of the way through the alphabet. But yet when most people prescribe exercise, they go, hmm, Schaefer, A, nope, no Schaefer. B, yeah. nope, no Schaefer. C, nope, no Schaefer. They go, all right, LeBron, we're going to go bird dog and side plank and curl. It's like, What? Are you joking? This guy's <laughs> fucking 6'8", 285. Are you, yeah. How is that? This nervous system's not going to be on board, yeah. right? So finding the right index, like I will look at a phone book, go Schaefer, 73%. Okay. I know I'm going to miss, right? Because maybe some last names are disproportionately represented. But if I go phone books this big, there's half, there's half of half, that's 75%. I'm going to be in the ballpark. I'm going to be an exercise progression, regression, adaptation, or optimization away from the perfect anti-rotation drill for Adam. Yeah. So, it, so here's what it sounds like, because this is the issue I've had with other uh, certifications. Other certifications tell you this is what you do. Right. It sounds like Prescript is teaching you how to think. So you can- How fit, to individualize you can, it. Yeah. yeah. So you can understand the process so that because, and here's the challenge. When you work with people, they're so different. There's so many variances. There's so many things to consider that I can't just have an answer. I have to know how to get the answer so that I can give them the right, at least close to the right answer. And then within a couple sessions, now I've got the right, right like thing to do. The opening blurb of the first course of every semester is, look, if you're here for all the answers, this is the wrong place. We're just going to help you ask better questions. Mm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's 16 Love weeks that. of just like this will ask you this will help you ask better questions and that's it. Yeah, and if you get us some answers along the way, great, but that's not what and I'm And this, this goes back to what I said about mm-hmm. you earlier is that you're this really rare combination of person who, who's got the experience, works with people, trains himself, and lots and lots of academic, formal academic education. And I can tell uh, just the way you explain it, but also in your certification, that it melds the two. And I can't think of too many certifications that do that really well, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Thanks, man. It's it's fun. It's it's what I what I wish I knew. You know what's the most telling is uh and this is for any business is percentage of people that do one part of your or buy one product, how many of them come back? Uh, what do they call that? Retention or Yeah. 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 So when we have and I think that in from a business sense is also the most valuable part of the experience of our certifications is like the community aspect that comes with everyone going through our barbell course or our weightlifting course or a skill acquisition course or a level two course or a programming course or a breathing course. 
um, that you just start to see so many familiar faces between the lectures and the labs. And they then keep when, coming back. Yeah, we've been lucky enough to just, I think, just attract a really high level. Like, you know, we've had a lot of like minds and not like minds, if I'm being honest, come in and, and find a common ground and just like a wantingness to know, like learn the truth or well, their truth. One so. of the challenges with certifications is just because of the big box gym industry, although now it's changed a lot since when I was managing gyms, still big box gym industry is where a lot of people start. And there's like certain certifications that they accept and not others. And you got to be able to get work in and get accepted with, you know, as like continue education courses or get accepted as a nationally recognized or what's that process like? Cause I imagine it's a ridiculous bureaucracy and it's crazy, but that's just my own yeah, opinion of all this stuff, that right. kind of stuff. It's, and you're not wrong. And I think to a certain degree with, for good reason, right? Like there has to be hoops to jump through sure. cause it, it, yeah, it parses out have a the week from the chaff. Yeah. Like I think right now with COVID and a lot of trainers, you know, I've seen an emergence of like mentorships come up mm. and it's like, yeah, that's fine, man. Like and undoubtedly people with experience. So long have, as the mentor is good. Right. And like, I'm, I'm neither judge nor jury, but it's like, I think for me, it's, it's, I want to reinvest back into the people that have invested into the company, right? Like I don't want someone, cause I've taken certifications for companies that don't exist anymore. It's like, well, that was a complete waste of time, <laughs> right? Like I know people who have gone to like osteopathic schools that their osteo schools have folded and you're like, oh, well, wow, I will have fries with that. Like <laughs> that's what your career is going to now be. So for us, it's like, you know, it's not cheap and it's, it's an growing operation. And you guys are recognized, right? So you get CEUs for taking Yeah. This. So NASM and NSCA, um, we are approved for 16 hours for both, which is essentially, you know, the bulk of most recertifications coming next year. We'll actually be, um, alongside, uh, NASM and NSCA with our PSCPT course that we're getting NCCA accredited. What does that look like? What, how does that process work? Do you have to send them your information, talk to the right person? Like what's that whole deal? Yeah. Like? So, I mean, it's a non-government organization and it's a lot of red tape. It's a lot of review. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot of money. But it's, it's just hoops you have to jump through. So, you know, there are certain requirements that need to be met from a content standpoint. And, you know, we're, we're working back and forth. And, you know, in order to make a change in the industry, there are some things that need to be maybe phased out or updated. So it'll expand outside of our current course offering as far as topics that we cover. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very heavily into the applied biomechanics and functional anatomy. Um, you know, we're touching more on exercise programming with some upcoming, upcoming courses that we have, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just long and it's really, I think the more I do it, the more, I don't know if grateful is the right word, but it, it definitely proved to me that this is an outcome that I want. Like I want that differentiation that someone can come through who's not a personal trainer and maybe get set on the right path. I think a lot of people and you guys have probably, you know, you're living embodiments of this is like a lot of people want to make a change in the industry, mm -hmm. but when the rubber hits the road, maybe they want to just make a buck, which is fine. Like, yo, make your money. Like I have friends out there who are not changing the industry, <laughs> but they're in PJs, <laughs> private jets. They got yeah. the G sixes and it's like private jets look really cool. Yeah. I don't know. But for me, it's like, all right, I, I got, I think I, I got an accelerated start to my inception into training because my training partner was just very well educated. I'm like, oh, this is how everyone starts out. And I'm 
been in, in this, I've been training for 16 years and, and I realized that, oh, stuff I learned on my second workout with my buddy, Luke Bernaches, who's actually in like the, he's in the forward of the book, um, is still stuff that the people don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, well, how can I have that? Like, how can, that was the impact that he had on me. So like, how can I have that impact? So if it means like, Hey, NCCA accreditation is going to cost you an arm and a leg every year. It's like, uh, can I, I just go to my accountant. Do we have an arm and a leg to spare? It's like, yes. Okay, great. We will give arm and leg for, to do that. So it's just my way of like, you know, Charles Poliquin was an example for me as, you know, RIP, but like, you know, he, he had at least the courage to say anything right in a time where so many people, especially now, like the, and this is something that I am so staunchly against that if I see one of our coaches trash and Pete, you're out. Mm-hmm. If I see someone on Instagram who's taking one of our certifications and they're getting in a knife fight in the comment section and they're like messaging, hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, I think just take your prescript level one out of your thing. I'll send you your money back. Like, wow. I, don't, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's the, I mean, it's an, it's an unnecessary, not an unnecessary, but it's, it's not something I want to be associated with. Yeah, no, I think, it, I think that that idea and that integrity is, is good for the space. Cause that's one of the most common things that drives me crazy about our space is you get a couple of these trainers that get a, a handful of certifications and all of a sudden they think they're fucking, you know, mm-hmm. the next best things like to slice bread and they start arguing with everybody in the comments section and putting down yeah. other coaches because of some recent, you know, article study or certification that they just well, recently read. You know, what's, what's really cool. Cause you've been doing this almost as, I mean, you've been doing this a long time too, Jordan. I've been doing this for a long time. And what's awesome is the, the fitness industry is relatively young when you compare it to other industries, but it's old enough now to where you're starting to see value proven in studies, research, and even with evidence from all these different tribes, right? All these different areas. Like bodybuilders always said this and power lifters always did this and your Olympic lifters always did this and everybody's arguing about who's better or whatever. Well, now we're starting to see like, oh, you know, they might've explained it in a way that really that's not how it's working, but it does work and here's the value. And you're starting to see things being put together. So to me, it's annoying when I see the kettlebell guy arguing with the power lifter about whose method is more valuable or what's better or whatever. I'm like, man, you guys are not learning from each other. There's so much wisdom. I remember when when you first started uh, training with Pikulski, who was a bodybuilder. And he was a pro bodybuilder, very different from your personal training, which was powerlifting. And I remember talking to both you guys and both you guys learning from each other with your training. It was beautiful. Yeah. I love seeing that. Yeah. And it's, and I think a lot of it, and Ben's like a very cerebral thinker. Very yeah. He's definitely your, your people for sure. Um, but I think both of us are just digging down to the root of principles, right? Like what is the mechanism? Then mm. that's one. Cause once you know that, that's the source code, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'll make the comparison often. And again, this is like your earlier question. parallel though to, to software. And like, even when you're uh, mentioning all that, I can't help but think of like a lot of the wearables, like text trying to come up with, uh, you know, with heat sensor, with, you know, skin galvanizing, like all this kind of stuff, which is, you know, already in our blueprint. We're just, yeah. you're just sort of highlighting it. Well, and that's, that's the biggest thing, right? Is understanding your ones and zeros. Like one of the things that we'll reference and kind of your point earlier, but how do we make these very like seemingly ethereal, distant theoretical concepts applicable? It's like, this is a comparison we'll make all the time is like, what was your first computer? My very first you computer. Remember? 
It was the, uh, the year was nineteen eighty. You no, know, I you know I was late to get <laughs> Commodore. One. It what wasn't was until it wasn't until I was TV, nineteen dude. or twenty, and it was the uh, was the Apple one with the bat the colored the bats. Macintosh. Oh, yeah, you, was, got was the, the first, you got the first candy the, one or whatever. I was a California kid, right? Oregon yeah, Trail. Yeah, no, we had like a Windows ninety five. Yeah. I remember being the first operating yeah. system, like before I even knew what an operating system was. So it's like that ran like an Intel, whatever processor yeah. or something like that, and. You know, you look at like my, like my laptop now, I probably have, no joke, 10,000 open taps. Like, that's how my <laughs> brain works. And Zoom and Google and yeah. uh, FaceTime and Skype and my cell phone links to it. And I get weird text notifications. That, and But needless to say, it has a lot of computing power. I can execute very complex programs on my computer now. And I remember when my grandma used to call, my internet used to drop out. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I can't play Kitty Cannon anymore because <laughs> grandma called. Yeah. So it's like, it didn't have a lot of ones and zeros. It didn't have a lot of computing power. So I couldn't execute complex programs, mm -hmm. right? So in order to, and the parallel being like these, as we dive down into the source code of movement, we start to understand it from a mechanistic You're changing perspective. changing your hardware and your software, man. But then it allows you to execute more complex programs. Totally. Right. And I think that's where another, I don't want to say value proposition, but creating indexes and exercise based off of complexity, instability, necessary co-contraction, necessary rhythm, breathing, timing off of just all different reference points. So you can just accurately take someone and be like, all right, I want to try this exercise. Oh, they can't perform it. The constraint of exercise selection is probably the most underutilized component of exercise. Like I'm going to take a client and they're going to squat light and then they're going to squat heavy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. I love that. I love how little thought you put into that entire Boom. thing. It's like, well, well, why don't you start them off with a front foot elevated split squat? Right. Well, like, what does that do? It's like, well, it disproportionately loads that lead leg and actually starts offsetting into more hip extension than hip flexion, probably driving more internal rotation. Oh, you want more internal rotation? maybe contralaterally load it and that'll actually pull mm -hmm. the torso into more relative. Like, so just things like that. What's like, well, you could squat or you could, I don't know. And I, like, it's, it's wrong for me to think, but like I, way I frame it in my mind and what I was about to say was, or you could care about more about what you did for a living <laughs> as a career. Cause that's what I think. It's like, you know, if you care about what you do or like the outcomes of your clients, like this to me is the requisite well, level. And that's why the course is. Well, you know, is. it's, it's a early year trainer is like, oh, in order to be good, I need to just get people to lose weight and look better. And then later experience trainer. Them. Yeah. Later experience trainers like, yeah, I got to do that because that's their goal. But if I can get them to move and be pain free, that's that's it. You're you're successful 100%. If I can get them to move right, I'm going to crush. And that took me a little while to figure out. But now I'd be interested to hear what your what your framework or your projected mindset of a new trainer in the digital spaces because mm -hmm. right? that's coming from like a fitness manager sitting down with the new trainer it's like oh this guy's right. got a pocket protector and he brought his diploma as part of his hiring package this is going to be fucking annoying <laughs> they're like this guy's got 23 inch arms and i'm pretty sure i just saw him injecting steroids in the locker room this is also going to be a problem but it's like now it's what is the motivating criteria for people at least who are finding us and going through prescript is like there is a digital etiquette that is, uh, is it's so different and it's very challenging. I, you know, we've made, we've said this before and, and maybe we're a little biased, but I think in order to, I think it's harder to be a good coach mm -hmm. digitally than it is in person because you're not there. You're not seeing them. You're not able to watch how their body moves in real time and walk around them and move with them and get the feel and the energy, which is really understated. I mean, it's so important 
So I, I mean, I've done on, I did a little bit of online coaching when we first started Mind Pump, and I remember thinking how hard or almost impossible it would have been had I not had the experience of training people in person. Right. Yeah, and that's where the skin in the game definitely helps, mm-hmm. but also understanding the difference between coaching and programming is something sure. that we really because we're a coaching right. course. We offer a programming course, but it's still a coaching company offering offering a programming course Got because it. you you program a computer, you coach a person, Mm. right? Which is the underlying difference. Like I know great exercise programmers that if performance existed in a vacuum, this guy's going to write, he's going to undulate and wave every sort of stimulus. If you're going to go hypertrophy or strength or in season or off season, but it's like the second someone stubs their toe, it's like, dude, that was, you know, that was mm -hmm. our challenge when we wrote our maps programs was we were creating programs for the masses and it was programming. We all understood coaching. So I remember we would get when we wrote. Even recently, we wrote a new program that's you know we won't talk about yet because we're not releasing it. But not yet. But we still get into these debates because well, what about the person who's like this, and what about the person that's like that? And it's like okay, this is programming, not coaching. That's very, one of my favorite different. parts. So that's also why we why the podcast was so important. Yes, was right. so we could have and we Constant and we make that point when we talk about talk about the programming. He said, "Listen, we're not saying that this is the perfect program for everybody. It's a great place to start. Now, hear us out." Like when you, if you come across this, then we might want to do this. You come across that. But I think that's so important when you're working in the digital space is, okay, do you have, do you have the, the X's and O's down really well? And then also, do you know how to call audibles? And so I think like where you do the labs and you have the in-person type of seminars and courses, I think we've tried to use the podcast and now you're also podcasting like that. I think that is, you have to, it's paramount to to building a successful coach. Otherwise it's, it's, generic crap yeah. <laughs> that's how I, I feel a lot of teaching mechanics and biomechanics is understanding how it's going to be applied so knowing that the majority of people with social media being such a driver are looking to either branch into a hybrid business online or they are currently fully digital coaches that's one of i think the most expedient tools for online coaching is actually understanding biomechanics because mm-hmm. like if i'm watching a movement depending on the movement, my attention is going to be focused on maybe one or two places total, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, you know, this idea that, you know, compensation is a very popular smoke bomb, right? It's like, well, you know, there's a lot of compensation going on. Yeah. The uberless <laughs> connects to your upper dorsum. It's all very complicated. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but it's not if you know where to look, yeah. right? So like when we address this exercise and we'll even make reference to framing in a video like if, like if your clients are checking in assuming that last year and a half especially when we've been teaching this it's like they're going to send check-in videos have them film it from this way because we want to see breakdown in the transverse plane. oh that's great so you teach them uh you know if you're doing this digitally these are the angles you want to look at for these particular yeah. movements because this is what you're looking for yeah exactly and that's where just understanding oh, applied great. biomechanics and functional anatomy becomes so handy it's like i could try and just look at someone's hip during a squat be like what is going on maybe they have antroversion or maybe they have retroversion or maybe they have an encapsulated femur head and then maybe their femur neck is this or you just look at their foot and be like oh <laughs> okay all right <laughs> right so it's it's little things like that it's you know, our coaches are the marksmen. We just got to tell them where to shoot, right? So that's a big part of understanding that source code is like, I know where things are going to break down, right? And so I know where to look to see these, if it breaks down here, look here. If it breaks down here, that means it's breaking down here, right? So that's like where it's become super helpful is I agree. Like, you know, I'm such a, 
like all I, I love like just the smell of a gym in the morning which mm. is so weird like i'll come home every single day and tess is just like you smell like you work at a tire factory yeah it's like <laughs> that's the smell you. Yeah. yeah and it's just a bunch of rubber plates and all that but like i still like going into the gym and training athletes or clients or whatever and that that perspective shift of like oh okay like when this exercise breaks down it breaks down instability of the lateral mm. hip that manifested over pronation of the foot were too uh, in early stance to be over pronating let's make sure that if we're viewing this exercise we're looking at it from the front not the side great okay Done. is there is there a, a portion of the curriculum that you personally are most proud of um that's tough actually i was gonna say it's like asking a parent their favorite kid except my parents because they know it's my sister um <laughs> i think i really like the level two course which is an odd thing because we're talking about the level one mm -hmm. uh, just because i think it makes it takes very almost like what's thought to be untouchable concepts too theoretical and makes them very applied uh, so we go into like rib cage and pelvic uh, mechanics and go through like single leg continuum of how we appropriately load unilateral movements versus how we load based off of potential rib cage structure then obviously like the nerve the nervous system mechanoreceptor stuff i like that because i often get and level twos you know are advanced level one students that are often of like a higher, I don't say higher caliber, but there's a higher curiosity for learning. Mm -hmm. So it's scary. Like, you know, we have a handful of major league, uh, major league baseball strength coaches, some orthopedic surgeons. So like, I'm like, shit, like I'm, I'm a little bit scared. I well, I imagine you would, you would attract, uh, the person that is wanting that next level. So you're probably getting coaches, which this actually is a perfect segue to the next question I wanted to ask you because you attract that type of person. Is there a common, um, is there a common thing that you are challenged in with these? Like, cause you get, I'm sure you get a lot of coaches, high level intellects and are probably also diverse in their education and experience. Do you see common things? Like I always get this. People always want to challenge this theory or this portion of the curriculum. Do you see common things like that? Not so much anymore because those common things have been fleshed out because it's almost like, not like a, a stand-up comedian knows when he's going to upset someone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I know the things that are inflammatory. I know the things that are contentious Yeah, and I'll just, I'll, I'll walk them through it, kind of hold their hand through it. So it's a, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, when we get into gait cycle mechanics and understanding like early, mid and late stance uh, mechanics and gait cycle and how that pertains to resistance training, that's a very dogmatic part, a subset of applied biomechanics that comes born of like a very theoretical faction. So making that applied is met with a bit of resistance. Explain what you mean by that. Is that right. because that because we you're, we're you know arguing over how we all theoretically believe we evolved over time and that's why or what what makes it so contentious? Um, how to properly dose some of these exercises mm -hmm. and understanding how to maybe here's a better way to word it, how to put that principle in perspective of your overall programming. Right, like making considerations and exercise selection for every single exercise you do based off of the fact that you lack hip internal rotation is probably a really silly idea for mm. someone that wants to it like you just get in better shape and lose weight. Got it. Right. Like, you know, the fact that someone's rib cage presents with like, you know, to use some of the jargon of that that field or subfield 
uh, someone presents with a uh, a wide infrasternal angle and they're posteriorly compressed that everything you're going to do is anteriorly loaded zercher squats and front foot elevated bulgarians and trying to create this posterior expansion is like taking this and just putting it in its place in the continuum of exercise mm -hmm. and understanding like hey our goal is to not confuse our clients like i have yes. clients very type a i'm sure you were the same i'm mm -hmm. sure you had like executive ceo types that were like they want to know that if they're spending money that they that you know your field as well as they're expected to know there of course mm -hmm. right so like this started for me when i was working at apple because mm -hmm. i was just some like chiropractic fresh out of school i still had spots and i had like just some like double phd mit mm -hmm. software engineer going yeah, but why? And yeah. not malicious, not right, insidious, right, right. just genuinely curious. And that's how someone gets that smart. And I would just be like, because uh, my professor said so. Like, <laughs> I can't, can't, can't play those games, right? So when you, when you get to that point, it's like you always need to be able to bring it back into real life where those subsets of applied biomechanics where we're talking about, you know, the considerations that have to be made around structural contribution again like where structure might indicate function a little bit more at the rib cage and pelvis this is a tie break of one exercise in maybe that you see once or twice a week like hey rather than doing a barbell bulgarian split squat maybe you load them either contralaterally or load them in a front rack good. position or something like that or a zercher or a zercher so that's it yeah then so you're basically still basically there's putting too much weight on one particular aspect well yeah because it's it is a fairly complicated thing to wrap your head around because it's a different framework mm -hmm. so you have to invest a lot of time into really being able to understand that particular model in a workable fashion so you feel indebted to this model to allow it to decide all or make all your decisions for you because you've invested so much time into it and then anything else that's not that is not something that you've been focusing on mm -hmm. so it's really like it's the only thing your light touches so you know the idea of a leg press is like well no that creates too much this or that there's and this is one of the hard parts to balance and maybe to your original question a few minutes ago mm -hmm. um is just understanding that humans aren't fragile Right. Like I've hurt myself lifting weights, but like it was a lot of them. Like it was a lot of weights very stupidly <laughs> in a short period of time. Like it, lifting is inherently safe. Humans are inherently robust. So I think reiterating that is probably because we do attract a certain type that are that are conscientious. And by nature, they are mm -hmm. they do want to help. They want to first do no harm. But it's like, you know, a lot of times first doing no harm often ends up as doing no good, yeah. right? So being able to confidently toe that line of like practicing skill and training output um, and do so in a way that actually helps your client rather than just helps your fear mm -hmm. of understanding like the outer limits of, uh, of human capacity. Yeah. Well, let's talk about fear for a second. You, you, how long has the certification been around? How many people have you certified? And then when you launched it, were you shitting your pants? Were you like, all right, uh, here's my baby. To the world um yeah shit, good question uh this has been around for four years wow. three and a half Man, four time years flies. yeah just great i remember when you first came out with it wow yeah yeah it's been a while uh we ran between in person so we've done this exclusively for a handful of gym franchises um a couple thousand around the world good for you yeah it's been a lot of fun and with the digital product has been around yeah for a little over three years I don't know. I don't, I don't know if she, it was a uh, fuck it. Like I, I've done a lot not to get too deep into my personal life, but a lot of what I do is either fuck yes or no. So it's like, I don't, I, if I'm at a point and this is probably why I travel so much where 
if I feel like I'm not doing something that's a little bit nerve wracking, I'm like bored mm. and we're not even bored. I think that's where the fear sets in. Like the fear of being static, like mm. that scares the shit out of me. Like I'll just, if I, if I know how to get to a place without a GPS, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to go somewhere where like, I don't know the <laughs> language or something. So, um, how was I scared? Yeah. It, it was like, it was, it was causing me anxiety. Like if anxiety by definition is the, the dizziness of freedom, it was the most free thing that I had. Like imagine falling into a pit and not knowing where the bottom is. Yeah. Right. So you could just like, ah, so that was kind of it. Like I started writing the course and I had a, like half of it done, but I was traveling throughout this and I was, so I was teaching on weekends. I was traveling on Mondays. I was usually getting settled in an Airbnb in a different city. I would teach online Tuesday, Wednesday, which is still the schedule. Um, and then I would teach from Thursday to Sunday and Monday I would travel again and I would do mm -hmm. that. But there were times where I was, as I, I would had it all in my head, but it's like, oh shit, I need to do like make, create a slideshow and all that. And also still write the manual where I remember being, I was at a Starbucks in, oh, was it Boston? No, it was Hoboken, New Jersey. And for whatever reason, my laptop had died, my iPad had died, and I was I had to finish the slides while I was teaching. So I would create a slide while talking about something on a previous slide. Oh and I had like, it's just, it's just like, my dad's one of these people who can listen to one song, but remember the lyrics of another one. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm so glad that he's my father because I have a bit of that ability to just completely dissociate. So my hand's writing the next slide while I'm stopped the screen share and was expounding on the points of the previous slide. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I would go to share the screen again. And then the new slide that I just created was up. And then I would put it up there, let them kind of like gather some of the bullet points or look at the funny picture that I just like screenshot and dragged into the slide on Google slides. And then I'm like, okay. And then I would stop screen share, add new slide. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So, you know, when we talk about rotator cuff, there's four months and I'm talking about the serratus anterior while I'm typing, but I'm actually oh, that's like, a great experience. yeah, it was a blast. Like, and there's been some of our courses where that's been the case because like writing the manual, teaching live in person. It's a lot, dude. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I, I remember making the transition from training clients to training trainers and managing gyms and I loved it. But a lot of, I knew a lot of people that did that, that found it not to be as fulfilling. And then of course I found it to be more fulfilling. Are you, is this, are you more fulfilled training coaches and trainers? Is this something that you just, is this your passion now? Yeah. Cause I think there's a meta impact that you can create if you get it right. Yeah. I agree. Right. And yeah. it's hard because it is a bit of a telephone game because you want to make sure that like, and I tell my clients, it's not about like the students per se. It's about their clients, right? Like get it right. So I can be, you know, when someone fails an exam, I don't just like, all right, the retake fee is whatever. It's like we get on a Zoom call and we sit down and be like, what didn't you get about this? Because like, what do I, and like, I've had teachers explain this to me and like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like you don't give a shit. But then like when I'm in that position, it's like, no, no, no. Like I want to make sure because if there's someone out there who just squeaked by and they think, that this is how to this, that this answer is correct. I need to do a better job at teaching this because like to me, especially it started to resonate when I worked in a clinical setting, just like getting it, getting it wrong and doing no harm doesn't really matter. I don't say it doesn't matter, but like the consequences of like, I don't know, I've been working with this trainer and I've only lost like a few pounds, but I like him and it's cool and whatever. And we get along, but I don't really know. That's one thing. But with a lot of the concepts we cover, like the, it really, I think broadens the, 
I don't want to say scope of practice, but it broadens the impact that the trainer could have. Because mm -hmm. in working in a clinical setting and you you deal with people who have been on disability for three, four years, have had four failed spine fusions and have to take like, you know, a handful of Norco and Gabapentin just to get out of bed. And this all started because of a trainer not being yeah. diligent. And like, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into an injury. And we talk about that at, at detail. And we're not trying to make anyone a therapist, but it's like, if you're a good coach, if you're a good trainer, you can well within the confines of your scope of practice, be able to you know elicit changes that get people out of pain by just setting your sights on improving function, right? And this is where the function functioning bad structure really came to play for me. And there's one patient I had for um, the time I was in California. That's always someone that I think about. Like there's there's a ramification to like getting this wrong, right? Like there's there's a way that you can actually help people and. If you're not a diligent trainer, that's a missed opportunity for someone to get better, right? Yep. And it's more than just like, oh, well, I'm getting married in 16 weeks. Yep. I want to fit into this, this other thing. So like I saw it from a very like, you know, this one guy in particular actually just messaged him the other day before I came back. Like his kids get paid and he was like very well off CEO, Silicon Valley, type A, former military, West Point grad. Like he was a badass. Mm -hmm. Like he's you know, not that this is a marker of anything, but this guy's killed people in active duty. And now is like, you know, he has a hard time getting up the stairs some mornings. And it's like, if you can be like, if you can give that back to him by understanding, like, cause it's, you know, understand a West point grad, you go to that bird dog side plank curl up. It's like, yeah, he's done these. He's did 1500 of these a day, yeah. right? We need to start flipping through the pages faster, right? So if you can understand these models and you can impart these models mm -hmm. and you can start to like actually be able to reach people where they're at rather than just running this, yep. running this system rather than a systems way of thinking, like that's what always did it for me was like, I want, I want this to just reach more people. Just as like I got into the digital space confined by a geographical space in my practice, then getting into the meta impact of coaching coaches and, and educating coaches. It was like, now I can. Well, this is to. why we appreciate you and, and your certification, because at the very least, um, if you, if you're the, per, if you're the one introducing fitness to this person, you have the opportunity to create a, a good experience for someone in a lifelong good relationship with fitness and health, or you could do what happens a lot, which is the person tr does it and tries it and falls off. And then we have this obesity epidemic and, you know, most people have lost weight. Most people have worked out, but most people don't continue. And I feel like if coaches and trainers do a good job, at the very least, you give this incredible experience to the person where they develop this good relationship where now they have this lifelong pursuit where it's a part of their life. And, you know, I don't need to, pre I'm preaching to the choir now, but we, you know, we know the impact that it can have on someone's quality of life, not to mention what you're talking about, which is, you know, solving someone's movement issues and pain and not hurting them, you know? So that's why we appreciate what you do and that why this certification is something we wanted to talk to you about. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, fun. it's always fun having you on, man. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, brother. I'm glad it was like much more topical this time. It's not just like <laughs> going off the reins. This, yeah. was, this was good. Well, last <laughs> time we needed to catch up, right? Last yeah, time yeah, we needed yeah. to catch up. It, it's been a while. You are like interesting. That. I mean, yeah. I could Learn definitely do it. Every time you're in here. I, I could definitely I do another podcast talking to you about your, <laughs> your adventures around the world, yeah. talking about fitness. 
Uh, so we might have to do that another time. Down. Very, very, very good stuff. But yeah, yeah thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it always, guys. Thank you. Right on. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.